I was talking about um, all these other concepts and ideas of all all these other different religions, both Christian and non-Christian. We went through all of that. And talking about the propitiation and how we have to earn God's favor and so forth and so on. And um, I think I closed out on page five, you said, Diane? Okay, so the last blank on that page, well, okay, two blanks. Okay. The statement that I want you to look at is this. It is an issue of faith in what God has wrought by grace rather than perseverance in what man has wrought by works to propitiate God. That's the statement. Did you find that statement? Okay. I filled it in for you, dear. Okay. I filled it in for you this morning. Now, (laughs) some folks may say, well, you're just comparing apples to oranges. But no. We... No, we need to understand what this uh, propitiation is all about. Uh, we do not appease God by our good works, folks. Okay? Uh, neither do we maintain our salvation by our good works. Okay? Uh, yet that teaching is out there. There's also a teaching out there that the proof of our salvation is good works. Be careful. Be careful with that because with that there is the implication, that's not the right word. Yeah, it's the implication that it's a works-based salvation. So be careful of that kind of stuff. Jesus Christ is the propitiation. He was sent to be the propitiation. And he is set forth to be our propitiation through his shed blood. Alright? That is our propitiation. No pope, no pastor, no priest, only he. Only he. Now, so we are on the section faith and works. Okay, so that's where we're going, faith and works. Um, I have to make it very clear about uh, what we have just looked at last week. In regards to faith and works and Christ as our propitiation for our sins and, and how all that works together. And again, it's just going to be a very brief study. What is that? Uh, those books you see sometimes, uh, computer programming for dummies. It'll be that kind of, it'll be that kind of thing. So uh, your very first blank. It is very clear from the New Testament that God justifies, as your blank, us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Alright? Romans 5.1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Very clear. Ephesians 2.8.9 For by grace are ye saved through works, 
No, through faith, right? And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. Alright? Romans 4, 3 through 5. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Is God indebted to us? No. Verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That's just three of the many verses. Three of the many verses that talks about being justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So on your study guide, uh, not only is this clear, it's also equally clear that we are saved unto good works. Saved is your blank. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Are these on your study guide? Colossians 1.10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Then finally, Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So, very clearly teaches that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then good works should be a part of your uh, lifestyle, a part of your conversation, right? Um, these good works are not seen as the evidence that we are God's workmanship, but rather it is the expectation of God because of salvation. Now that's an important point. I, I don't know if you're, you're grasping that or not. That's why we read all of these exhortations for believers for doing good works. And why is that? Because sometimes we get lazy. <laughs> don't we and sometimes we get carnal and sometimes we get distracted and sometimes we get selfish so if you read through the epistles there's always these exhortations hey guys remember what you're all about because we forget we have a tendency to forget um, what is it Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 2 it says that it is our reasonable service. Alright? It's our reasonable service. It's, 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 it's what's naturally expected of those who are born again, children of God. That's what we're all about. It's because we're new creatures in Christ. Old things, all things are new. So that's why there's always those exhortations. What? To walk even as he walked. All of it, because we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. Now, I say all of this because I'm going to say a very controversial statement. What's new? 
one must be careful. For good works are not the grounds of assurance for one's salvation. Many of God's people who are saved may not be involved in good works as they should be. And we know this is true. Because I've been there. And I bet you have too. And so if my good works is an assurance of my salvation, then what happens when I stop doing good works? Am I not saved? Or would somebody question my salvation? If I decided to plant my derriere on a on a, on a seat and not do anything, does that mean I'm not saved? But there are some who teach that very thing. No. Our good works uh, is the assurance that we know God. That's true. That is true. But Christ is the propitiation for our sin. That is your assurance for your salvation. Okay? Not because you do good works. And there are those who will teach you just that very thing. If there are no good works in your life, then I don't even know if you're really saved. I knew a man that said to me one time, he says, I could talk to an individual for five minutes and immediately tell you whether or not he's saved. Really? You're able to see into that man's heart and make that judgment? Now, I leave that up to God. I leave that up to God. And I also, I'm also going to say another controversial statement. I believe a person knows whether or not they're saved, irregardless of how they live. Right? I do. I believe that. Uh, I just do. I just believe that. They know they're saved. They may not be living like they're saved, but they know they're saved. Now, our good works should be from a heart of gratitude. Our good works should be motivated by a spirit-filled uh, uh, love for God and love for others. Our, our um, Here's another thing about our good works. It's not so much an assurance of our salvation, but it certainly is tied to our rewards. It certainly is a tied, to, uh, tied to our rewards. So on your study guide, the New Testament is also very clear in that it is by these good works that we perform that we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ or receive reward or suffer loss. That's very clear in Scripture. Romans 14.10 But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You see, there are so many people out there who are fruit inspectors, and they're so concerned about what so-and-so is doing and what so-and-so is doing, but what about you? Because you're going to be standing accountable before God just like the person you're pointing at. 2 Corinthians 5.9 Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him for whom we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. That, that word accepted doesn't mean you're going to be saved. If you don't do your good works you're going to get kicked out. 
No, that means you're going to be approved. He's going to be happy. You're going to please him. What is it that you're really wanting? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Alright, let's stop here. Who, is, who or what is the foundation? Jesus Christ. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so is by fire. See, that's a man who's not accepted. He's in heaven, but he lived a very selfish, carnal life, and he has nothing, no rewards. No rewards. So to make your works the basis of assurance of your salvation, to me, I think is, is, is an error. That's an error. So on your study guide, with these passages before us, It would be a grave mistake to think that such good works, as imperfect as they are, could ever justify us before God. Now, I'm justified by faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for me on the cross. My assurance is not because I'm involved in good works. My assurance is Jesus Christ who is the propitiation for my sins. Man, if my assurance is based on what I do, I'm in a world of hurt. Because quite frankly, I'm looking out in this in this group, this little group right here, and there are some folks in this room who do far much more than I do as far as good works are concerned. And that's another problem. How much is good is is good enough? You know, how much good works is good enough? Got some people hanging out bulletins at the door, and then we've got some people dealing with addicts. See the danger there? It is because of the assurance we have in Christ Jesus and the love of God shown to us that we have our assurance, and that's where we should find our motivation. 1 John 4, 9, And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that He that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I remember we went on visitation and we were witnessing to a gal. And this gal was, uh, I think she was raised a Roman Catholic. And so she was asking the question, well, where do good works fit in? And uh, the comment was, well, good works doesn't have anything to do with our salvation, but it has everything to do in showing our gratitude for Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. And I thought that was a good answer. That was a good answer. 1 John 3, 3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him, and what is that hope? Salvation, Jesus Christ, eternal life. 
And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. That's your motive, folks. That should be your motive. Not to be justified before God, not to make sure you're saved, but because of what he's done for you. But that's a common false teaching among the religious Gnostics, both Christian and other. And I went over some of this. You know, when we talk about the, the Buddhists and the Hindus and even the, the Calvinists and all these folks. So on your study guide, it would be equally arrogant to presume upon God's love to live life as John in this epistle addresses it by living in an open and unconfessed sin. Presume unconfessed, hating one's brother, and walking an unrighteous walk. Or as Paul talked to the Corinthians, wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, Ye are carnal. A carnal walk is a walk of ungratitude or ingratitude toward God. That's why we took so much time in 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10. These people who are playing games with their sin. Oh, I'm in fellowship with God. While they're out in the hallways slandering and gossiping and carrying on. And No, you can't be. If you're, if there's, if you're, if you're allowing sin to control your life, you're not in fellowship with God. Because what did I say about God is light? He cannot mix with darkness. Now I can see why some who have this thinking about works, I can see where some would teach 1 John as as a, an epistle, as evidence of one's salvation. If you approach it that way, that your good works, you know, you, unless you've got good works, we can't really be sure if you're saved or not. I can see where some folks with that mindset would use 1 John's epistle in that way. If your lifestyle doesn't measure up, then we have to question your salvation. But you know, what are you doing? You're, 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 you're threatening their loss of salvation. You're, you're undermining their assurance and, and how they're saved in the first place. Is that really the best approach to someone who's living a, 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 a carnal life? No, Paul tells me in Galatians, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one. But we don't want to get our hands dirty. It's a lot easier to point, point fingers and claim, well, so-and-so is not saved because so-and-so is doing this or that or not doing this or that. Am I stepping on anybody's toes? No? Well, I'm going to have to try harder. <laughs> so on your study guide, we are to cleave, hang on with both hands, to both biblical assurance of being justified by faith alone and to the biblical exhortations to produce works as a testimony to God's transforming grace. Yes, ma'am. Does that mean that people have to see our works? People have to see our works. 
Because what if you do works that people don't see? A lot of people do works that people don't see. Right. But, but who sees them? Well, God does. There you go. And who and who who is it that we have to, in the very end, well, have to give our final answer right. to? Are you saying that other people have to see our works? Or no. Only God has to see them? No. No, other people, other people don't need to see your good works. Well, because you're saying people, you know, people are pointing fingers saying, well, so-and-so doesn't, but they don't know if so-and-so does, right? Well, what I'm talking about are people who are judgmental. Gotcha. And people who go around claiming that, well, because so-and-so isn't doing as much as I am doing. And they might not even see what they do. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a superficial, it's a superficial judgment call. And you need to be careful of such things. That's what I'm saying. Right. Okay. Okay. But there should be good works out of appreciation for God. Right. And if you are a new creature in Christ, then those good works are going to happen. Whether they're good works that other people see or only. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we need to cleave to both assurances that yes, we're justified by faith alone, but because we're saved, right? We want God's grace to shine in our life, and what better way for God's grace to shine in our life for others to see, whether they see it or not, is through loving others, good works, that type of thing. That's the message of First John. It's not proof of whether you're saved or not. It's how can I have fellowship with my father? How can I have deep, intimate fellowship with my father? That's what it's all about. First John 2.5 says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. I want my love perfected. I want my love to mature. I want it to grow. How do I do that? I do as I'm told. I'm doing as I told. Hereby we know that we know Him. Right? How do I get to know God? By walking with Him. How do I walk with God? By obeying His Word. It's not, I hate this saying, it's not rocket science. It's not. Don't make it into it. Verse 6, he that saith he abideth with him ought himself also so to walk even as he walks. So I don't make Pastor Brian my standard. Who is my standard? Yeah. So if I'm walking according to the way he walked, then I'm doing pretty good. So on your, here's another controversial statement. On your study guide. Good works don't guarantee our salvation. Through appeasing an offended God, but they do assure us, assure us of being in fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. When you're walking with the Lord, you've got that assurance that you're in fellowship with Him. Right? When you're walking with him in the light as he is in the light, you've got that assurance. Irregardless of what anybody says, or irregardless of the finger pointing, or irregardless if anybody sees it or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. 
And if we don't get it, he's going to remind us. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I am the mo- yeah. I am the most miserable when I'm out of fellowship. I am the most miserable. So let's look at, and this is your blank, the doctrine of propitiation. The doctrine means teaching. What does the Bible say? That's what it is. So what is it? What is what does the Bible mean when it when it teaches about propitiation? First John two 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 two. That's not what about. You know, we're not talking ballet. And he is the propitiation for our sins. No pope, no priest, no pastor, no other man, only him. He is a propitiation for our sins. Now, here's your blank. Read carefully what John writes here. He is, as in Jesus Christ himself, satisfies God's displeasure, as your blank, with sin. Displeasure with sin. Jesus Christ himself has appeased justice. By the voluntary offering himself on the cross, and Jesus Christ himself has annulled the power of sin to separate between God and man. Appeased, displeasure appeased, annulled. Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, I know I'm talking to the choir, but there's a lot of people out there who are confused about this. So on your study guide. Our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, sits at the right hand of, of God as one who is a visible and personal satisfaction for our sins. And by him, God is appeased. That is, he's satisfied regarding the issue of sin. Okay? Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I don't see my name anywhere in there in purging my sins. Do you? Do you see? Do you? No. <laughs> and I don't see yours either. <laughs> Wow. So who does the purging? Jesus Christ. Is it my good deeds that purges my sin? No. No, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who purges my sin. Now, think about this. Right now, our advocate sits in the very presence of the Father. The Father looks at the Son with complete satisfaction in what the Son had accomplished on the cross of Calvary. There's absolutely no displeasure toward the Son from the Father. None. He's not even thinking about it. It doesn't exist. Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man, for it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. 
everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, everything that Jesus is, God is completely satisfied. Completely. John 3.35, the Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That is so clear. That is so clear. So on your study guide. By his sacrifice, by the grace of God, he should taste death for every man. God has been appeased. Your blank is this. His justice satisfied in the death of the innocent on behalf of the guilty. And the issue of sin, the enmity that once existed between man and God has been, here's a big word, expiated. E-X-P-I-A-T-E-D. It's been erased. You know, you get a speeding ticket, you pay a lawyer, and it wipes it away. Yeah. Wipes it away. John one twenty nine. the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the elect. No, the sin of the world. Now, that'll blow your mind if you really think about it. If you really think about it. So look on your study guide. Understand it is the person of the Son that God is satisfied. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Again, on your study guide, Jesus Christ is the personal guarantee for our, before our place before God as our advocate. Now, I know you guys understand this, but there are people out there who are really confused about this. Jesus Christ, this is your next blank, is the personal satisfaction to God in regards to our sin is our propitiation. He's completely, totally satisfied in what Jesus Christ has done. Ephesians 1.6, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Not because of my works, whether they're seen or not seen. It's because of him. So on your study guide, the father looks upon the son sitting at his right hand with perfect satisfaction, not only because he is Jesus Christ the righteous, but also because of what he obediently submitted himself to endure at the cross of Calvary. Hebrews 12:2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Anybody see that movie, Passion of the Christ? And what, uh, what was that guy's name, Mel Gibson? How he portrayed what he went through? 
for you and me for you and me so on your study guide the father looks upon the son who still bears the wounds of his obedience unto death on our behalf he still bears the wounds folks and the father is completely propitiated appeased satisfied in regard to any sin we commit and therefore our fellowship with God is maintained and our salvation secure not because of my good works but because of him and him alone Revelations 5, 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. You know, when we are resurrected, we're going to get glorified bodies. And all of our aches and pains and all that, all that arthritis, all, everything that we got, it's all gonna, it, we're gonna have perfect bodies. But there's only gonna be one individual in heaven that has an imperfect body. Jesus Christ. We'll see those scars. We'll see that wound in his side. And we'll probably fall down on our faces with tears in our eyes with gratitude. Uh, is Romans 11 on your study guide no okay good Uh, I'm not going to read it (laughs) the point is this God has completely taken man's work out of the equation folks alright and it is entirely by his grace and mercy and love that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's God who gets the glory, folks, and not you and me. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now I want to get back to this word propitiation here in Romans 3.25. This uh, particular Greek word is only found in one other place in the New Testament. And you, you know, you're going to find that out if you use a Strong's Concordance. Which I, that's, If I were on a stranded island, I'd want my Bible and my Strong's Concordance. <laughs> but anyway, Hebrews 9.25. Here's the other, other um, way that the KJV group translated this, this particular word that we see here, propitiation in Romans 3.25. Is this on your... Hebrews 9, 5? Okay, good. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. The mercy seat. So on your study guide, the word mercy seat in Hebrews 9, 5 is the same word propitiation found in Romans 3, 25. Now that should open up a floodgate right there alone um, you recall way back when I talked about Andy Stanley 
and where he said that the Old Testament is irrelevant for the church today and that we shouldn't even bother with the Old Testament, shouldn't even teach from the Old Testament. You know, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. Right? Alright? Well, this is, a, this is a trend among uh, many, many religious, I call them Gnostic teachers and preachers. I found another one who also believes this, who claims that the Old Testament is, um, um, is irrelevant, and you'll see why he says this in just a minute. I believe it's to justify his sin. Uh, this is a pastor. This is a preacher. This is the guy who goes around to other churches and preaches. His name is Brandon Roberts, and he is an alphabet pastor. Yeah, LGBTQ. Yeah, they keep adding letters. He's a practice practicing homosexual who regularly speaks at churches, and what he does is he promotes the the false idea that same-sex relationships are biblical as well as God-honoring. And he says this, he says, when we take the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and we read it back, and we read back into it Christian understanding, he said, this is an unscholarly, unscholarly approach to understanding the scriptures. Now, what do you think about that statement? Kind of wrinkle your nose at it? Yeah. Andy Stanley recently had an unconditional... Yes, I saw that. I saw that. He also continues, he says, when you, when you read back into the Old Testament a Christian understanding, he says, this borders on anti-Semitism and is very offensive. Now, of course, he would have to throw out the race card, yeah. wouldn't he? Because he's a gay pastor. And if you're against gays, then you're What? You're racist. Yeah? So that makes sense. I see his logic here. Okay. Uh, going on, when, when somebody asked uh, about the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, this is what Brandon Roberts says. He says, the writer of the book of Hebrews is terribly problem, problematic in many ways because this is what he does, or they do. He, they interpret the Old Testament in light of the New. Huh. Well, aren't we supposed to do that? Well, yes, we are. According to Brandon Roberts, the author of the book of Hebrews was wrong. He was terribly problematic in his approach in interpreting the Hebrew scriptures in the way that he did in this epistle. He was wrong. That's what Brandon Roberts says. When he was asked about Luke 24:44, that says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning, concerning me. Who, who said that? It was Jesus talking to the fellows on the way to, to Emmaus. Brandon Roberts said, That was Luke's interpretation. And not what the Lord actually meant or may even have had, had said. Roberts. Brandon Roberts. That's, that's what I got. 
So, Luke was wrong. Paul was wrong. Who's the authority here in Brandon Roberts' thinking? Brandon Roberts. Brandon Roberts. Brandon Roberts is no different than any of the religious Gnostics in our day who deny the authority of the Bible, who make themselves the ultimate authority, you know, saying this goes, but this doesn't go as far as the Bible is concerned, while they teach their false doctrine to justify their sinful lifestyles. By his statement concerning Luke 24:44, Brandon Roberts dismisses the blessed doctrine of Christ's propitiatory role on the cross being our mercy seat. Because if you're going to reject Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, then you're going to reject the teaching of the mercy seat. Now, who are you going to follow? Brandon Roberts or God's word? The only thing problematic about what Paul wrote was it doesn't justify this man's sinful lifestyle. And that's why he's against it. And of course he'd be against the Old Testament because where in the old, because it's the Old Testament that condemns the very thing that he tries to justify. Of course he's gonna, of course he's gonna do that. So on your study guide, perverse doctrine then leads to perverse thinking that leads to a perverse lifestyle. Perverse doctrine then leads to perverse thinking that leads to a perverse lifestyle. You get your doctrine wrong, then your thinking is going to be wrong, and when your thinking's wrong, so goes the life. C, Christ our mercy seat. Let's take a look at this. Mercy seat. He's our mercy seat. Uh. Alright, keep up. For the beloved, on your study guide, every day of atonement, the high priest after the order of Aaron would enter and sprinkle upon the seat the blood of an innocent slain for the guilty to atone. Is your blank for the sins of the people for breaking the law to atone. On your study guide, the mercy seat of the old dispensation, as Paul states it in Hebrews 10.1, the law having a shadow of good things to come has been fulfilled perfectly. Is your blank. Fulfilled perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate before the Father and the propitiation for our sins. He has fulfilled that type. Okay? So on your study guide, by his shed blood, he has removed the judicial displeasure of a righteous and holy God. Judicial displeasure. Turning, turning away his wrath against the sinner who is now accepted due to Christ's sacrifice as their satisfactory substitute. Substitute is your blank. That's for the beloved, that's for the believer. And not only is the propitiation for the believer, he's also the propitiation for, here's your blank, the whole world. And this is what blows a lot of people's minds. So on your study guide, herein is the height and depth of God's grace and that this propitiation not only covers the sin of the beloved, those who believe, 
satisfying the justice of the holy God when we sin, but the blood of the innocent covers the sins of all humanity as well. John, 1 John 2, 2, and he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Not the elect world, as the Calvinists like to categorize that. It's the whole world. So on your study guide, ten times is your blank. This phrase, the whole world, is found in the New Testament, and it means just as you read it, the whole entire world. Everybody. I don't know if I put a little footnote. I listed all those verses. No footnote? Okay. Well, if you want them, I've got them. It's there? Okay. So contrary to the ultra-Augustinian Calvinistic view in that Christ died only for the elect, twisting scripture to fit their soteriology, uh, stating that the world is, means only the elect, John clearly writes that Christ is a propitiation for the sins of everybody. 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 John one twenty nine. the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which take away the sin of the elect. It's not what he says. He says the sin of the world. The sin of the world. So here we go. On your study guide, the barrier of sin, barrier, the barrier of sin that exists between God and mankind has once and for all been satisfactorily dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The issue of sin has been dealt with, folks, in Jesus Christ. Sonia said he got it was this sin that created a state of enmity. A state of enmity between God and man and Christ's shed blood has now reconciled man to God. State of enmity. Ephesians 2.15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That which separated man from God. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances to, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. So on your study guide, the only barrier that now exists and bars man from being benefited by this propitiatory work of Jesus Christ is what? Unbelief in God's provision in regards to this issue of sin. You know what keeps people out of heaven? Unbelief. It's their unbelief. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that was that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The only thing that's going to keep you out of heaven is not believing in Jesus as your propitiatory covering, your mercy seat. 
there's a difference, right, between unbelief before salvation and then unbelief after salvation. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 struggle we struggle with faith in our walk, you know, a lot. So yes, there is a difference. There is an unbelief that will condemn you to hell, and then there's an unbelief that will keep you from growing. First John four nine says, "This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation." For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. Here's the caveat, especially of those that believe. He's the Savior of all men, but especially those who believe. Okay? So on your study guide, Christ Jesus came into the world to remove sin as a barrier to God's fellowship so that man may be reconciled to God so that God can restore what man had lost at the fall of Adam. So you got three R words. Remove, reconcile, restore. Did you get those blanks? Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and I, folks. That's everybody. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by, uh, justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so even while we were enemies, folks, he was reconciling us to him through his son. For, when, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That's the propitiatory work of Jesus Christ. He's not only the atonement for for us who believe, but he's also the atonement for all the world. That's the gospel. Now this needs to be understood about God's provision of propitiation. This is on your study guide. The removal of the sin barrier does not automatically save mankind. Bringing regeneration and eternal life to mankind, it is by faith and not by works that is God's prescribed way for this alienation to be bridged. So yes, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world, but not everybody is automatically saved. And there is a teaching out there that says that everybody will be saved in the end. That's not true. That's not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 3.18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
Ephesians 2, 7, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works least any man should boast. Folks, if you're trusting in anything else, you're as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. It's on your study guide. In the final judgment, it is not the sins of man that the loss will be judged, but rather it will be their works by which they shall be judged. That's what it says in Revelation 20. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead which were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You see, instead of men trusting in the propitiation of Jesus Christ, what God has provided being our mercy seat, they're saying, no, I don't want to, I don't want to trust in that. I'm going to trust in my works. That's the way of Cain. That's what's being preached in many, many churches today. You earn your way into heaven. That's a lie. That's a lie, but yet so many people buy into it because it appeals to the flesh, it appeals to the pride. The way of Cain. But all have come short to the glory of God. There's nobody that's going to measure up. And if you reject what God has provided in the propitiation of Jesus Christ, if you refuse the mercy seat offered to you, then you're going to have to stand there and be judged according to your works. And guess what's going to happen? You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. So on your study guide, failing to have faith in Christ's atonement, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against them, their names will be blotted out of the, out of the Lamb's book of life. If they refuse God's provision of salvation, you're not going to find their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. How do I get my name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Trusting in Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover the sins of the world, the whole world. And those who have placed their faith in this Propitiation can rest assured that they have a place in heaven with him. Not according to your works, but according to his shed blood. God has made eternal life available to all, especially of those who believe. That's the problem. That's what's going to keep you out of heaven. So we have a covering in the propitiation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When the children sin, we have an advocate sitting at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, whose own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. He bears the wounds of our transgressions. The Father sees those wounds, and he is satisfied. In Jesus Christ, God sees a perfect propitiation. Right? This is done away with. To me, it's no surprise that they can't find the ark anymore. 
Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that ark. It's no longer needed. I know that brings up other issues. You know, we've got the new temple, they've got the temple coming in the millennial kingdom, and yes, I get all that. But as far as this is concerned, it's no longer required. It's been fulfilled. So on your study guide, we've got what? Three more lines? Uh, for his children who sin, we have the assurance of restored fellowship with the Father when we sin. Assurance. For the lost, they have the promise of eternal life when they believe in the propitiation of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the last one, for the believer there is restoration. For the lost, redemption. It's provided only through the shed blood of the innocent who is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world that's just a dumbed down aspect of this doctrine, there is so much there so much there but I, I hope you grasp the wonderful doctrine of, of, uh, of our propitiation it's a blessed truth, it really is So let's go ahead and close out in prayer and then we'll get on with our service.